is the San Francisco Bay haunted by a ghost boat that floats silently under the Golden Gate Bridge? And then we travel to the Pacific Northwest to meet a Bigfoot that's not legendary for the size of its feet, but for the size of its genitalia, today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. Here's a little brain teaser for you to get the morning started. What do you think came first? The club, we're talking about caveman weapons here. We're not talking about different places where you hang out. What do you think came first, a club or a spear? And I know what you guys are going to say. It's a club because that's the easiest thing. It's just a branch you pick up, swing it around. However... Think about it. Clubs are really inefficient. They can really only be used to, like, knock bats away and, like, hit saber-toothed tigers on the head. Which, while those are noble endeavors, if you were stuck in the woods, you're like, ah, you fall out of an airplane, you survive the impact. <laughs> you you land on a bunch of spider cobwebs, they slow you down, now you're in the middle of the jungle. What's the first thing you're going to do? You're going to find a sharp branch and get that. I, I honestly think it was the spear. I honestly think the first thing that a caveman did, not the very first thing, I mean, obviously they ate and reproduced. They didn't appear on the planet and go, ah, stab you, Og. But I think a spear probably came first. Someone probably picked up a big log and they go, I'm going to smash you over the head with this. And the other guy's like, I want to see you try. And they just stick him in the heart. And that was my ancestor. I'm descended from the first dude who stabbed another man with a spear. But yeah, I'm a, I, the clubs, I don't think, lasted very long. Mickey Mouse Club, notwithstanding. So, um, oh, we also have this. We have a new Patreon. Everyone, uh, say thanks. I don't know why you're saying thanks to him. I'm saying thanks to him. Will, Will H., thank you so much for donating to the Patreon. It really means a lot. It really helps support the show. Let's me buy stuff like Veronica. Oh, and I bought a bunch of backup cables, my interface device. I bought one of those. I bought everything that I need so in case something breaks, we're ready to go. Because we were having that problem about two weeks ago. I'm able to do stuff like that because of the Patreon. I'm able to buy all this backup stuff because of that. So I really, really appreciate it. If you can't support the Patreon, just get the word out about the show. That helps out a lot as well. Let's go ahead and get started. Now, yesterday's episode kind of ended fairly abruptly because I just run out of time. We were doing Ghost Boats of the San Francisco Bay. And I highlighted the Squando. That was one of them that I talked about. But there was two in the bay that I wanted to touch on. No pun intended. Is that a pun? If I say something and it just doesn't mean... Can you touch a ghost boat? Is really what I was getting at. But anyways. um, Where was I going with this? Oh yeah, ghost boat. So in the San Francisco Bay, apparently there's two ghost boats. We had the Squando, which was more of a ghost story that took place in San Francisco. But it turns out it didn't. It took place somewhere else way before. I loved that. I really was thinking about that story all day long. How interesting that was. But... Now we're going to the Tennessee that's interesting in its own way. And again, both the story of the Squando and today's story about the Tennessee both came from like paragraph-long ghost stories, very, very short ghost stories. And I started digging, started digging through the evidence like a little gopher, and the evidence was a carrot, and web pages was the dirt, and I was looking for the particular carrot. Anyways, digging, analogy, time. I'm finding a carrot. I found a carrot. What am I... Okay. (laughs) Okay. Let's just talk about this boat, okay? And then we'll get to the carrots. There are no carrots, by the way. Well, there's facts. 
Never mind. The analogy is confusing me. 1853. Let's hop in the Dead Rabbit rowboat. We're rowboating all the way from Oregon. We're going back to San Francisco Bay. So choppy, choppy waters. We're helping move some Colombians. We're like, hey, can you uh, deliver this to San Francisco while you're there? And I was like, yeah, totally. And you're like, no, dude, don't. Wait, why are there Colombians in Oregon? And why am I dumb enough to take their package? But we do. And you're like super suspicious. You're like, ah, and I'm just sitting on this giant bale of white powder as we're, I'm like, row, 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 your boat DEA agents are flying by. You're like, quit drawing attention to ourselves. Anyways, we get to San Francisco and we unload the bale and it turns out it was baking powder, you racist, that they used to cut cocaine with. So anyways, anyways, that segue aside, we're in the San Francisco Bay. And we didn't get uh, arrested, which is good. We're in San Francisco Bay. The year is 1853. So now they have a bunch of baking powder in 1853 San Francisco. And what happened was there was a boat, a clipper. That's an old, that's a word, old-timey boat. as like sails and stuff. Big, big old clipper. I did all that stuff about drug running. I can't even be bothered to find out what a clipper is. Anyways, imagine a sleek boat. With sails on it and wood. Made of wood, probably. It's 1853. Anyways, the SS Tennessee is sailing underneath the Golden Gate Bridge and it smashes into the rocks. And people are like, oh, that sucks. And they all jumped off the boat and they named that place Tennessee Cove. It's not called that anymore, but it used to be called Tennessee Cove. And there was a popular story going around at the time. That on foggy nights, you could still see the SS Tennessee floating underneath the Golden Gate Bridge. You have sailors talking about it. Arr, matey, did you see that clipper? And the other pirates like, arr, matey, what's a clipper? And they're like, and they explain it better than I do. And they're like, arr, that makes sense. And old salty sea sailor people really, really love this thing. Seagulls tried landing on it. I wonder if a seagull could land on a ghost boat. That's always the thing. Can I get on a ghost boat? I wonder, actually, now that I think about it, if there's ghost boats, if we accept that as a reality, are there ghost planes or ghost blimps? And I'm not saying you look up in the sky and you see a ghost plane, because that's just a UFO. Could you get on a plane that was a ghost and it fly away, like Wonder Woman? Or could you get in a ghost blimp and take the longest, most boring journey of your life? Could you get on a ghost boat? Could you walk on a ghost boat? Because if a ghost can walk in your house and not fall through the floor... There must be some sort of solid matter going on. So it should be the inverse. I should be able to... If a ghost can walk in my house, I should be able to walk in a ghost's house, is what I'm saying. Is kind of what I'm getting at. Right? Anyways, we'll leave that one for the scientists out there. November 1942. The world is at war. The USS Kinnison is a boat. It's a destroyer, actually, I believe. You don't know what a destroyer... I know about as much what a destroyer looks like as what a clipper looks like. So it's a big metal boat that has guns on it, right? And it's sailing underneath the Golden Gate Bridge. Now, you had a bunch of people standing on the boat, a bunch of sailors, a bunch of military officials standing on the boat, not just random tourists who fell off the bridge and they're like walking around. Boats going underneath the Golden Gate Bridge. It's a foggy, foggy night. And then they hear... uh, They don't hear anything. I'm making that detail up. (laughs) They see... A clipper sailing right next to him through the fog. And they're like, Captain, Captain, look, port side. And the captain looks and he goes, what? 
it's a ghost boat. And everyone's like, it is. And some people are like, yes, yes, it is the old tale. There's an old salty, old salty sea dog on this USS Kennison. He has the pipe and he's missing a leg. He's like, ah, the tales are true. The Tennessee, that's the boat. So anyways, that's basically the whole ghost story. So this boat ran aground. People have been seeing it on foggy nights. And then historically in 1942 in November, a... USS Kennison saw it, all the people, all the deckhands, all the swabbies saw the Tennessee sail right by them as they're going underneath the Golden Gate Bridge. So, we do what Dead Rabbit Radio loves to do with this type of stuff, we investigate it. Now, I'm not going out there with a little tape recorder and EMF reader, I'm just swimming in the bay, sharks are eating me, I'm freezing to death. I'm like, unusual cold spots as the freezing water splashes over my little digital thermometer. No. Using the information from the story, the question is, is any of this real? And first off, you have to go, are any of these events real? It's really hard to determine whether or not the haunting is real. But as I've learned over the course of this show, sometimes the stories themselves are completely made up. So it's not that the haunting may be fake. It's that the story never existed, that none of these people ever existed. So looking at this, I found some interesting stuff. First off, the, Ken- the USS Kennison was a real ship stationed on the West Coast. It was a destroyer, and it was patrolling the ocean or patrolling whatever the sea, the coastline during uh, World War II. So we definitely know that that was in San Francisco, or at least on the West Coast at the time that this happened. So that gives us a clue. The SS Tennessee was a real boat. This is what I thought was interesting. So as I'm reading this story, and as I was telling it to you, I say the boat ran aground, but there's no mention of casualties whatsoever. So it's not like the boat is cursed or haunted or anything like that. I did those haunted ghost boats of the Mississippi episode like 200 episodes ago. Mass casualty events on these boats. Makes sense that the boats are haunted. Squando had a dude with his head chopped off, bunch of captains killed, supposedly haunted. But this one, the boat runs aground. And everyone just kind of gets off of it. So your question is, well, what's funny is the original ghost story just says... The boat crashed into the rocks. So you would assume moms are like holding their babies and the water's like rising up. And they're like, oh no, it's either you or me, baby. And they're tossing the baby and then they do a straight breaststroke out of the boat. But no, everybody, not only does everybody, the boat, so the boat does exist. The boat did crash. Very detailed records on this. Everybody got off the boat. Not only did everyone get off the boat onto the rocks, but they were like unloading letters. They're like, oh, Since everyone's here, let's start unloading all of our valuable supplies. They're like getting like bags of letters, a bunch of cotton, some suspiciously packed white bales from Columbia. They're like, oh, this is pretty cool. Let's put this over here. And and they're thinking, well, if all the packages are off and all the people are off, the water should lift the boat and the boat will sail back in the harbor. We can swim back to it and take control of it. What happens is the water raises and then drops again suddenly and the boat just smashes down again. So first it runs aground and then it gets lifted up by the water and smashed down. And it's just destroyed at that point. They, they can't salvage the boat. Three people did die, but they died on the journey. So like one guy had like old timey disease number four and the other guy had old timey disease number eight. One guy had tuberculosis. The consumption... So they just died because it was 1853. But what's interesting, so nobody died on the boat, except for those people who were going to die anyways. The boat crashes. What does that, any of that have to do with whether or not it's haunted? This is what I found absolutely fascinating. Honestly, I thought this was bizarre. People 
loved this boat. They absolutely loved this boat. This was a, basically when the boat, it was a very popular boat. People used it. It was kind of like a packet ship. You, you would deliver people and parcels all over. People loved it. Loved it. When the boat crashed, it had an obituary. This is from, I found this, this is from the Daily Alta, it's a California newspaper at the time. Here's a quote. She was a favorite craft and one of the best sea boats that plowed the Pacific Ocean. She was the home, the pride, and the refuge of her officers and crew. And many a tear as salt as the brine that surrounds her shattered hull has coursed unbidden from manly eyes and sprung up involuntarily from the bold and courageous hearts of those whose pride and delight she was, as they have gazed on the last resting place of the gallant Tennessee. I think it's fascinating because a lot of times we talk about hauntings in the term of tragedies that take place, people getting their heads chopped off and their ghosts is haunting the place, people killing themselves and their ghosts haunting the place. But again, when we look at this stuff, the inverse should also be true, where you love something so much You just can't let it go. And it's haunting you, quote-unquote haunting you, which we think of as being scary, but it's more of just reminding you of the joy you once had with that person, place, or thing. This boat was so beloved that old salty sailors wiping their eyes, I'm not crying! Just got some salt in my eye because I'm salty. Newspapers... We're giving it tributes. People love this boat so much. So, does that prove that there's a ghost boat floating underneath the San Francisco Bay? No. But, I think there probably is. I think it's probably something that was so beloved that people just couldn't let go of. And the boat just manifested back into reality. Because to the people who truly loved the Tennessee, when they saw that boat sailing through the fog, it wasn't scary. It wasn't a sign of doom or distress. It was a sign of life after death, even for an inanimate object that they loved more than the sea itself. Let's do a quick, I love that story. I think it's fascinating when we find hauntings from good hauntings, stuff that is is haunting us to give us a good memory. But we don't really hear about that as much. Let's do a very quick Dead Rabbit Recommends. Now, I gotta say, I, I feel like I've talked about this one before. But I went through my past episodes, notes, and I didn't see it. So there's really nothing I can do to uh, tell you anything more about this movie, though, than the title and the tagline. It's called, and there'll be a link in the show notes for the IMDb page. It's called RWD. RWD, as in rewind, like the short-term rewind. The tagline is, they went hunting for ghosts. They found themselves instead. It's a... Feature-length horror movie featuring only two actors. It's a found footage film. And anything else I can explain about it would absolutely ruin it. I had no idea what I was getting into when I put it in. And it's one of those movies that just builds out. And you do, since you don't know how it's going to start, you have no idea how it's going to end. Fascinating horror movie. Let's go ahead and move on to our next story. So we're leaving behind San Francisco. Goodbye, Tennessee. Goodbye, SS Tennessee. It's all toot toot. It doesn't have a, what would a, a, a boat, a wooden boat have? Would they just have the bell that ding, 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 
And then I look and you're gone. And I see you on the boat. You're like, don't leave me, don't leave me, don't leave me. And you fade away. So I've lost a listener. So now it's just me in the boat. And I'm like, oh, yes, the silent, silent sea all by myself. And then you come out of the water. I was like, where were you? You're like, ah, I fell through the ghost boat. So anyways, I pick you up out of the water. And we are headed back up to the Pacific Northwest. I have a question. Is British Columbia considered the Pacific Northwest? If it's not, then we're not in the Pacific Northwest. If it's not, then we're in British Columbia area. And there we're going to meet a tribe of Native Americans. They're not Native Americans. They're Native Canadians. Natives. Called the Bella Coolas. Bella Coolas. Now, this is a recommendation from our resident Bigfoot expert, Bennett. He denies it. He sends me a ton of different stories to cover. But I always pick the Bigfoot ones. No, he has some really good ones coming up. But anyways, thanks, Bennett. Bennett recommended this. We're hanging out with the Bella Coola. And we're like, hey, we are from the future. I'm Jason. This is... supposed to say your name whenever there's a pause like that. My name is Jason. This is... And so, and after the introductions, they go, so, why are you here? And we're like, well, we heard that you're having a little bit of a balk problem. And they're like... Yes, yes, the box, the box. Come with me, young people, and we will talk about the box. So we go out into a field, a nondescript, non-racist field. I don't want to say like they go into a, I don't want to say like they're at a teepee or a wigwam or anything like that, because I don't know. Maybe they had buildings. I don't know. I don't know anything about the Bella Coola tribe. We go to the middle of a field, okay? That's not racist. We're sitting in the middle of a field. And we go, oh, it's a beautiful field you have here. And they're like, yes, 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 it is. And it's very non-stereotypical. I'm like, you're right. And so the Bella Coola uh, chief goes, okay, here's, here's, the, here's the straight dope. This is what's going on. Many moons ago, and I'm just joking. he goes, so there's this Bigfoot in the area. And we're like, ooh, Bigfoot. And he's like, yes, yes, Bigfoot. But this Bigfoot's different. So... I found two different descriptions. Everything's the same, but some sources say that the balk is actually shorter than a human, which would make you think orangutan. But then other people are like, no, not only is the balk bigger than a human, it's almost bigger than a normal Bigfoot. So that's the one detail that I couldn't mesh between my sources. But anyways, they're tall, they're hairy. We'll go with the tall version. They're tall, they're hairy, they got big old long arms, they walk like a man, talk like a man... Walk like a man, why don't you? He's singing that song, and we're like, what? And then he goes, and he doesn't even know the lyrics for the rest of the song. He goes, listen, they're big, Bigfoot. You know what a Bigfoot is, right? We're like, yes. So what makes these guys so special? And the chieftain's like, uh, it will make you very inadequate, but they have giant penises. And you're like, oh, okay. Box have giant penises. Now, I know what you're thinking, because I was thinking the same thing. How big is giant? Like, at what point it, does it go from being large to the first thing you notice? Now, they're Bigfoots, so let's say they're seven or eight feet tall. Okay, guys, I should be clear. We're talking about penises for the next 15 minutes. So you might want to shut the episode off, Mom. You have a Bigfoot seven feet tall. You figure it, like, down to his knees. You'd be like, that's giant. That's huge, right? That has to be, like, a good two or three feet. These guys, it's so big, according to legend, they have to throw it over their shoulder. They can't even carry it. It's so big. So just throw it over like Snuffleupagus' trunk. I wonder if it's hairy. I would imagine it was hairy. 
Imagine it was totally hairy. And um, also, it's most likely uncircumcised. Unless they have like a giant sharp rock out there somewhere. Anyways, they wrap it around the back of their neck. Now, that's pretty, that's giant. That's giant. But when we look at the legends of these guys, that's nothing. One of the famous stories involving the boxes, there was a young native woman on a beach, like a river. What's the, the sandy part of a river called? Probably a beach. <laughs> it's probably just called a beach. Anyways, she walks down to the river, has a bucket. She's going to get some water in it, right? Take it back to the tribe. Take it back to a field where they live. And totally non-racist. And so she's filling up the bucket full of water. And across the river, <sighs> we have Bach vision. We're looking through his eyes across the river. <sighs> a little computer graphics are like target acquired. And, and so the Bach comes out of the bushes. And takes his penis and throws it across the river. Still attached to him. He doesn't detach and then throw it like a worm. He basically throws it like a lasso. And it lands and on her. In her would probably be a more accurate term. Now he's banging her from across the river. Now I know what you're thinking. Again, I'm sure we're all on the same page with these box. How big was the river? <laughs> so here's my thing. Like, there is, if it's a river, you have a river, you have a stream, you have a creek, and then you have a trickle. A river would suggest several feet of, like, I'm thinking like 30 feet of water going down a mountain or a hillside or whatever. So, you, it can't just be wrapped around the back of his neck, dude. Like, unless his neck is 30 feet, he's like super broad-shouldered, there's no way... He almost has to have one of those things that you have on the side of your house that you wrap a garden hose up in to be able to throw it 30 feet. I'm just assuming 30 feet. It's a river. It wasn't a creek. And to be fair, come on. Even if it was a creek, that's still a good 12 feet. And you're like, Jason, why are you coming up with these arbitrary distances? There's no geologist who goes, that's not a creek, that's a river. Based on how wide it is. That's not how we determine this stuff. But... Still, still, come on. I was thinking if there was a, if there was a hot chick on the other side of like a trickle of water, a leaky faucet, and I'm like, listen, lady, you're really hot, but I don't think I can go over this trickle of water. Apparently, I'm a vampire now, and if one drop of water hits me, I'll turn into dust because the vampires turn into dust. What dies when water hits it? Something, no, there's a mythological, vampires don't like crossing water, but I thought there was a mythological creature that if you threw water on, I guess I'm just thinking of Wizard of Oz. So anyways, I'm the Wicked Witch of the West. I can't cross a trickle of water. A river is way more than just throwing it over your shoulders. But he did, apparently, so he's banging this chick from the other side of the river. And she can't move. She's completely frozen. And they kind of say it was more of like a frozen, not necessarily frozen in fear, but frozen in like magically frozen, hypnotized. And a bunch of dudes saw this going on and they were trying to like pull pull it out and they couldn't. It was too strong. So one of them gets this thing called a solaberry leaf, which is a type of like little, I had to do much research on those too. It's a little like berry that you eat. And apparently they're like, okay, they're not the best berries, but they're not the worst. But they take the leaf, and apparently the leaf is razor sharp, which isn't true. I didn't find that when I was looking on how to pick up solid berries. They ran at the penis with the leaf, and to the Bigfoot at least, to the Bach, it is super sharp. So he pulled his penis back so he didn't get chopped up with the leaf and ran away. 
That's a very, very famous box story. So, yes, giant penises, they can shoot over rivers, tributaries, probably a small sea. So the idea of having a cryptid with massive genitalia is amusing. It's kind of amusing visual. That's so heavy, they have to throw it over their shoulder. However, these things have more tricks up their foreskin than the average cryptid. That's disgusting. That was a disgusting joke. Anyways, I'm going to leave it in. What if you could hide stuff up in there? Like, I guess if it was big enough, you'd keep your wallet in it. It just folds over like an anteater. Now, apparently these things were all over the place in British Columbia. And they said, actually, when the white men showed up, the Bellacoola was hearing from other tribes. Oh, yeah, our Bigfoot's left. Yeah, we don't see the Sasquatch guy anymore. Yeah, Wendigo's. But the Bellacoola, they could not get rid of these guys. They were like cockroaches. They say even when the white men showed up, these creatures still existed. And the last, like, major sighting of these guys was in 1924. And you go, well, Jason, Bigfoot was seen in Arkansas back last week. And I'm like, well, yeah, somebody saw something. We can't really say that it was Bigfoot. But it, but whatever, whatever. I'm not going to get get into all that stuff. What I'm trying to say is that these things were me- measurably large populations up until 1924. They just couldn't get rid of them. So you had, what happened is you had Europeans start to have run-ins with these things as well. So these things... They've had the ability. There's a story about this guy trying to outrun him in a boat. His wife and his kid are in the boat. And Box start hunting them. And they see him on the shoreline. And they're like, this is not going to be good. So he's rowing down the river. And the Box actually raised the earth up. He said that the river became like a stream. Uh, uh, see? There is a difference. And the boat started to run aground. So originally it was a river. He jumped out. Now it's like knee deep. And the box were able to like control the, basically the water was the same, but they lifted the earth under the water. And he said he had to push his boat all the way to the fort as the box were running along the shoreline. So it's kind of weird. You very rarely see cryptids with geomancy, like these level of powers. But I thought a more interesting story was just because it's so funny. There's this dude hanging out with his buddies. This was a European guy. He's hanging out with his buddies, right? And he sees a balk up on the hill. Because, again, these things are very well known. They weren't supposedly legendary to the people who live in the area. And all of this stuff could be 100% fake, by the way. I have no proof any of these stories ever happened. Wasn't able to research them more than just the legends. But anyways, this dude is chilling with his buddies. And they're just drinking whatever they drank back then, mead. And uh, he sees a balk up on a hill collecting clams. Oh, wait, that's what they were doing. They were collecting clams, too. So this dude was hanging out by the beach, by the river, collecting clams. Clams live in the river? They must have been some. They must have been by the sea, because I don't think there's clams in the river unless they accidentally get washed down. But anyways, point is, there's this dude and his buddies are collecting clams, and they look up and up on like this rocky mountain pile thing, pile of rocks, they see a bock collecting clams, and the dude goes, oh, "I'm gonna blow its brains out. I'm gonna go kill that thing." Buddies are like, really? And he's like, yeah, yeah, you watch my clams. I'm going to go up there and I'm going to shoot him in the face. He sneaks up. He has his musket, right? And he sees the bok. And he says the bok looked like he knew something was up. The creature looked like he knew he was being watched, but he really wanted to get some more of those sweet, sweet clams. So he's like picking the clams up and putting them somewhere. And the guy sees where he's putting them and he goes and he hides behind a giant pile of clams, which must be the most smelly hiding spot ever. And he has his musket there and he's like, click. He's waiting, and he sees the bok have an armload of clams, and right before the bok drops all the clams on the pile, the dude jumps up. It's like, gotcha, you son of a click. 
and the musket just explodes. Like straight up Bugs Bunny peels back metal. Guy has a black face and the Bach books it. He loses all of his clams too. The guy goes back and he's like wiping the soot off of his face. What happened, man? We heard an explosion. He's like, yeah, thanks for checking on me. I went, I had it. I had this gun level right with his eyeballs, dude. I was about to just, just blow this dude's head off all over the clams. My gun exploded. And they go, oh, it must have been a defective gun. And he slaps him. No, the gun's not defective, you idiot. You didn't let me finish. The Bach magically made my gun blow up. So that's the level of power we're talking about with these things. And you go, Jason, they just raised the earth. Who cares if they make a gun blow up? You should have told those stories in reverse order. A defective bullet can make a gun blow up. I can stick my finger in a gun and make it blow up. I can't lift the earth. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) you're right. But I thought that story was more entertaining than just a family fleeing for their life as the earth was moving under their feet. So that's the story of the box. Is there really a Bigfoot tribe with genitalia so massive they can throw it across the river? Is there still a Bigfoot out there that has junk that's so heavy they have to wrap it over their shoulder to just be able to walk? I think that is as realistic as any Bigfoot story out there. And so I will say yes. From now on when someone asks me, because the conversation always comes up because of what I do with this podcast. People ask me, do you believe in ghosts? I go, yeah, yeah. Do you believe in aliens? Uh, I kind of go over, give them a brief overview of what I think. But from now on, people go, what do you think about Bigfoot? I'm like, I don't know. Bigfoot might be real, but let's go out to a field. Let's have a talk. Let's talk about the box. They'll be like, I'm not doing any of those things. And I'll be like, well, you asked if I believed in Bigfoot. So I said, you're not going to go to the field with me. (laughs) I'll tell you right now. Bigfoot might be real, but if Bigfoot is real, then so is the box. If you want to learn more about that, let's go out to this field. No, seriously. like If Bigfoot's real, the box is real is really what I'm trying to say. I just said that two minutes ago. I'm just trying to figure out a way to end this. Oh, here's a way to end this. So, the next time you hear a story about a group of Sasquatch hunters lurking through the darkness, guns ready, or simply cameras ready to find proof of a real-life Sasquatch. And when the hunt turns to a chase... When the hunter themselves hear the cry of battle, feel hot breath on the back of their neck, and realize that they are now being pursued by the very creature they set out to look for. As they're running through the pitch black forest, they're looking for a place to hide. And they hide behind a fallen tree. (sighs) Hope I'm safe here. And that's when they realize the fallen tree is moving like a snake through the darkness. That's when they realize that that log is actually a living creature's giant penis. And that is when they realize they are about to be crushed to death by the whip-like weapon that only the Bach can wield. I'm talking about its penis, in case you missed it. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be your email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. Twitter is at DeadRabbitRadio. DeadRabbitRadio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. Peace.